0: Welcome right by to Damage Radio. Here, here live on mockradio.com, where music reminds me. you already know me. I'm RC, alongside my guest. He's a uh, he's a Monster Factory alumni, a professor, a husband, a dad, an author, and lead Ring, and, ring of Honor broadcaster. My friend making his return to Damage Radio, Ian Rickbon Ian, man, welcome back to Damage Radio. <laughs>
1: hey RC, thanks so much for having me. It's been a while. I think it's been a couple of years at this point, mm-hmm. and a lot's changed. I mean, I've gone to the lead chair at Ring of Honor. Uh, I remember telling you, I remember sitting there at at Monco saying, hey, my five-year plan is I want to have a shot. I I just want, you know, if anything should happen, uh, if Kevin should move on, I just want an opportunity. And sure enough, about six months later, that opportunity came and uh, I'm very blessed that it's been, uh, it's been very fun ever since.
0: It always happens like that. I think I got that good luck charm because, like, with you, and then um Josh Shiranoff, he you know, he was coming on our show for a little bit, and then, boom, Fight TV. <laughs> right. so, what where's I'm oh just waiting for my shot, man. One, one day, one day at a time.
1: <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, it's—it is about hard work. It's about persistence, and that's really the only advice I ever give anybody. Uh, just try and create your own opportunities. Create your own content. And just try and be a value. And you know, that's one of the things I learned from Brutal Bob Evans. It's something I learned from my dad, uh, my mom. Um, you know, just teachers over the years. And uh, yeah, just just being yourself and just trying to be of, of value to someone, of service. Just trying to do the right thing every time you do something. So, yeah, it's been um, you know, a ton of ton of fun. And yeah, it's it's been fun in our area because there's been a lot of people getting breaks. You know, myself and the Monster Factory graduating out. You know. Damian Priest, uh, Matt Riddle, uh, Nick Camarano's on AEW, so it's 10, Preston Vance. Um, I mean, that, there's a whole crew from that that time period that is now just on national television. It's really cool to be uh, be a part of that group.
0: Right. There's so much to talk about, um, you know, because first off, you know, you are a hard worker and you came from uh, two hardworking parents. Uh, is that what motivates you to keep moving forward and keep striving for greatness?
1: Yeah, I, it, it all comes down to my parents. Um, my dad, when I was growing up, worked three jobs. And right now, I actually Ring of Honor pays me an extremely generous salary. Um, but I do keep I keep three jobs myself, and it's it's because I want to try and give my kids a slightly better life than than what I had. And I was very fortunate. And I was very blessed. Um, you know, my dad had three jobs when I was first born. Um, there, He got an opportunity at a pharmaceutical company as an engineer. Uh, he worked very hard to learn engineering while he was working those jobs. And uh, he got a job at a pharmaceutical company as an engineer. And then my mom continued to be a manager at McDonald's through all of that. So both my parents worked quite a bit. And it's actually because of that that my babysitter, we were in a trailer park, my babysitter uh, loved wrestling. And her name was Pat and her husband Bob. And Bob apparently was the most mean, curmudgeon person my dad had ever met. But apparently when I would go over, I'd jump right on Bob's lap and he'd put a wrestling tape in. Either something he taped off the TV or something that he rented from the video store. And me and Bob just used to watch wrestling. And he used to laugh and smile and um, Apparently that was the trick. So it's I remember, you know, growing up, just seeing my my parents just working really hard, Um, you know, when they would go to work at different times, I'd miss them if we'd have to go to the babysitter at different times, I'd miss them. But, you know, very fortunate. You know, there's a point where my mom, you know, took off from work the last year before I went to kindergarten. So I remember spending a lot of time with her. And some of my favorite things that we would do is we'd go to Kmart and we'd, you know, look through the wrestling figures or, you know, we'd go to the magazine rack and she'd let me pick out a wrestling magazine. And that's actually how I learned to read. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we'd go through the basic children's books, but then... I'd pick out words and I'd say, "Mommy, what does this word? What does this word mean?" And I remember there was a word, there was a phrase, "broadcast journalism." It was in the May 1991 uh, issue of WWF magazine with Jake <laughs> Roberts on it, and it's a Bobby Heenan column. And uh, I asked her what that meant, and she said that, you know, that's when you're on TV and you, and you talk about something you really like." And that was kind of, honestly, when I knew that I had something, you know, I had something to try and work for. So Allentown is a very blue collar town. Um, When I was growing up, it was when the steel mills left Bethlehem, when Mack trucks left Allentown and people were scrambling, people were hurting and seeing my parents just trying to fight and claw and be a part of a city that that wasn't going to let itself down was was something in hindsight that probably really benefited kind of the way I think and kind of how hard I work and, and things like that.
0: So seeing that what your parents were doing was probably the most important life lesson you could ever learn. When yeah, having, when having two kids of your own now and and a wife that you have to provide for.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, and it's um you know it's stunning. You know when you see, you you pick up on things that you don't you don't realize until later. Like um, my dad had been in the navy and he would always tell me you know, fifteen minutes is on is fifteen minutes early is on time on time is late, and I didn't really get that until. Uh, you know, until I was out of high school or, you know, you, you'd see my mom and my mom would always instill instill to me, you know, just be nice to everybody, particularly if you're at, um, you know, if you're at McDonald's, if you're at, you know, if you're talking to the garbage man, if you're talking because their jobs are really hard and they are doing their best to to put it forward for their families. And, you know, by the time I was 16 and I was working as a waiter or, you know, when I was working at Giant, the grocery store. I those life learnings and messages started to come together when you realize that, you know, you should pay it forward and put it forward. So absolutely. Yeah, I was very, very lucky to have two awesome parents and an awesome big brother and older sister um, that just were, you know, they also helped facilitate my life. For wrestling. <laughs> but really? Yeah. So my my big sister um, who spent the weekends with us, she would paint my face like Demolition, and she would paint my face like the Road Warriors. And so uh, we, you know, we go out to Burger King on Saturday morning, and we come home with uh, one of the crowns. And she would wrap up like a, a blanket around me and put the crown on my head, and I was the Macho King. Nice. So <laughs> those are things that I have vivid memories of, and that was almost thirty years ago. Uh,
0: I, there was no kiss my foot match like King Lawler versus Bret Hart, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but I narrowly. I was supposed to be there that night, and thankfully I was not. <laughs> my neighbors, my neighbors went to that event at the Spectrum. They had a ticket, and I was in. Uh, I was playing little league, and uh, my team made it into the the finals and the playoffs. And I did not did not go to King of the Ring '95. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Might have been for the best.
0: <laughs> right definitely man so you talked about you know being able to go to your babysitter's house to watch wrestling uh talk about the beginning stages of being a fan watching professional wrestling what got you hooked was there a match
1: or promo yeah nothing that i can remember real vividly uh i i do remember loving the ultimate warrior i just thought he was the coolest i love the paint of the colors um, i love the rockers the rockers the knee i remember seeing the neon green the neon yellow um, just anything like that. As a kid, I loved like the bright, you know, it was product of the time. But I love the oranges, the pinks, the greens, um, anything that was flashy, colorful. And uh, I thought it was cool that Roddy Piper had a kilt. I really liked that. And so, you know, those are the kind of guys I gravitated toward. Um, you know, when the I remember when the Legion of Doom came into WWF, I had never seen them before in the NWA. Because in Allentown, we got. Uh, We got six different ways to watch WWF, but NWA was very hard to come by. It was on at midnight on the New York station. So as a three and four year old, you're not going to you're not going to see that. (laughs) So. um, So, yeah, it was they opened my eyes to a whole new deal, too, with the shoulder pads and the face paint. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of how I remember being into things um I remember being really into the magazines and having to ask my brother and my mom and dad well who's this guy who's that guy um and just getting a feel for for who's in the magazines but yeah essentially I remember you know those those colorful characters being being the jumping off point point. and I remember the wrestling figures themselves I might have been into the figures as much as I was the actual wrestling um, kind of ahead of you know, really knowing what wrestling was in a weird way, because those figures were so cool. So.
0: <laughs> so figure now, now you're all about the figures, right? Right.
1: Yeah, That's I still true. have I still have every single one of my action figures I had as a kid. Um, I have all the Hasbro's, almost all the LJNs. I've gone back and and bought some of the LJNs I didn't have, like the Ultimate Warrior. Um, yeah, I'm all about the figures. I collect the Micro Brawlers. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's a lot of fun. The only thing I wish is I wish Zach Ryder and, uh, wish Brian Myers and, uh, Matt Cardona were just a little quieter or just waited a little bit. So I kind of plucked in and filled in my collection before they got the prices too high. <laughs> right.
0: That's the thing, man. And funny story about, uh, having collectibles, uh, brutal Bob hit me up because I put on some, uh, action figures on my own saying, hey, listen, I got this Dusty Rhodes and all that. And he said, I heard you were trying to sell these. I was like, yeah, I I need some extra money, but my kids love them. Like, Mm. you know what? Let let your kids play with them. But the Dusty Rhodes one, you might want to put back on the shelf. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like... I was like, yes. Yeah. So I had to like quickly, like, you know, hey, Dylan, look at that over there and grab it from him and put it on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was blown away as a kid. Um, there are certain figures you remember just hanging around uh, you know, on the pegs. They call them peg warmers. And I remember Lane Co. very, very, again, very vividly. I remember going into Lane Co. You know, on Lehigh Street in Allentown and there just being, you know, five or six of everybody. The shelves were full and it was cool. Yeah. And, um, a couple of weeks after that there is still four or five Dusty Rhodes and to think back that was the only place I ever saw the figure ever the only place I ever saw it and to think back that he wasn't a popular character at the time because he was a, he was already gone from WWF you know he hadn't he'd gone to WCW but really wasn't on, an on-air character he's kind of a commentator at that point so I guess it makes a little sense but to think about how valuable that one in particular is know, it's kind of right? wild
0: seriously <laughs> Now, I wish I had the, the huge ones. Remember the big ones, the rubber ones? Oh, yeah. I yeah. had those, man. I got rid of them from, for some reason. I think they got mold on it or something when I, was a, when I was a kid, man. But if only we had those still, man, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, I still have mine. It's wow. uh, Yeah, so it, it, not many of them are in great condition. Uh, thankfully, the Warlord is, who's one of the rarer ones. Right. Um, so the Warlord and Haku actually somehow, you know, maintained in good shape by by dumb luck <laughs> but uh, over the years i've been going through and, and filling in that collection and, and replacing ones that are uh, that have really been played with really well loved ones
0: <laughs> I know. now what did your parents think of a two and three year old ian riccobani loving professional wrestling and being a little ultimate warrior
1: oh they they loved it they indulged it um for better or worse they it was something that my mom later told me and i'm figuring this out as a parent where she could sit me down in the living room and she could read a book or she could talk on the phone and I would just be into beating up the wrestling buddies, playing with the action figures, watching the tape. And, you know, she would be there with me. So I wasn't completely alone, but it, she could just let me have at it. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so, yeah. They didn't, they didn't mind at all. I don't think. And, you know, they ended up taking me to a lot of the events. Um, you know, my mom in particular later, i I've, I've figured out that she really liked seeing Shawn Michaels in person, wink, wink, and really likes yeah, seeing right. Edge in person, wink, you know? And uh-huh. so she didn't, she didn't hate seeing these, you know, 25, 30-year-old men all greased yeah. up and muscle. I'll
0: take them, sure.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and later my dad, you know, to this day, my dad goes, hey, remember that time we went to see The Undertaker? He was huge. Remember that time we saw Psycho Sid? He was huge. Remember the time we saw Yokozuna? Wow, he was big. So... It's, it's kind of neat because my dad's not a fan. You know, my dad, when I was young, tried to have, quote unquote, the talk with me about how wrestling isn't really to determine a winner or loser necessarily for catching my drift. Dun, 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 and, dun. Uh, you know, that it didn't that talk didn't work. It just kind of made me interested in, well, OK, then what is it for? It's pretty cool. I like this anyway. Right. <laughs>
0: Now, what, what, was it, what was it about wrestling that, that you that you enjoyed so much? Was it was the glitz and glamour? Was it the, the promos? What, what got you to it, you know?
1: I just, I, it was just these just huge, huge people. Like, just these giant athletic people. Um, you know, I looked up to my big brother a lot. He likes sports. We watched a lot of sports together. And baseball had Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, Barry Bonds, Ken Griffey, um You know, even guys like Danny Tartable, Bo Jackson were just these huge guys that could hit home runs and do cool stuff. And you turn the channel to wrestling and they're even bigger and they're doing even cooler stuff and they're jumping around and they're throwing people around. And so for me, that was the appeal, just these cool, you know, flashy athletic guys um, who would be funny in their interviews, their interview, you know, you go back on the WWE network, you watch those interviews, they're done for perfectly for ages three to 10. <laughs> like The bushwhackers
0: going through the forest.
1: Yeah. You know? Oh, and, and it's fun and it's exciting. And it's something that, you know, you know, kids can relate to. And so for me, um, I just thought it was awesome that, you know, these big, huge dudes were doing funny things, silly things, serious things. Um, and especially with the WWF, I don't think they get enough credit. The contrast between the silly stuff and the serious stuff makes you like the serious stuff even a little bit more. You know, especially as you get older. But you know, I remember the first pay per view I ever saw live was WrestleMania Seven, and I remember being into the opening match with the Rockers, being into the British Bulldog, you know, because he had the, the the cool braids and yeah. um, the cool cape and the outfit, and and uh, Winston at the time, the dog. And then, you know, for Randy Savage's Ultimate Warrior, um, one of these guys was going to retire. And even as a four-year-old, you know, I asked my parents what that meant. They said, "Well, he's not going to wrestle again." <laughs> and so, it was crazy. You know, just the stakes. You know, the the fun earlier stuff made the the big, serious stuff even more serious and better.
0: And the guy we were booing before that match started, we ended up cheering for. Like when Sensational Sherry started beating down Macho Man, and then there goes Queen Elizabeth, Miss Elizabeth jumps over the guardrail, runs down, you know?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. That was wild. (laughs) Yeah,
0: man. Let's talk a little about, uh, the Allentown wrestling culture. Talk a bit about that, man. And how how great that is.
1: It's wild. Um, there was a, a viral tweet going around the wrestling circle about, Hey, um, quote, tweet this with the most famous wrestler from your area. And I, had too many to choose from. I mean, The Rock finished his high school here. He came here as a sophomore in, in Bethlehem, but anybody that knows the Lehigh Valley knows that Allentown and Bethlehem are sister cities. They share a huge border. And I mean, if you're here, um, you might be proud of being from Allentown or proud of being from Bethlehem, but you're proud of being from the Lehigh Valley. And so, you know, we claim The Rock. We Allentown specifically claims that Billy Kidman who went to Parkland High School and the Nasty Boys. And, you know, they are born and raised Allentonians. Matt Riddle, born and raised in Allentown, um, you know, moved to upstate New York later in life and then to Vegas when he became a UFC fighter. But, um, you know, those are the just a, a drop in the bucket. And there's guys like D.C. Drake. D.C. Drake was an early ECW star that doesn't get enough credit. Uh, he's a guy that kept independent wrestling in Allentown um, and was critical in keeping wrestling in Allentown because... The WWF did tapings from about 71 through 84 in Allentown at the Agricultural Hall, Ag Hall in, uh, you know, in the Allentown Fairgrounds. So, you have this huge group of people who over time are just used to seeing some of the biggest stars in the world, like Bruno San Martino, Pedro Morales, Ivan Koloff, Stan Stasiak, Superstar Billy Graham, Hulk Hogan, Andre, Ivan Putsky, Bob Backlund, you name it. They were coming to Allentown every three weeks to do these TV tapings. And over time, the fans got to know them and got to really, you know, love these guys. And just from that, you know, 11, 12-year period where wrestling was being taped here and shown all across the world, um, Allentown really became a wrestling hotbed. And so there was kind of a generation of us that just came came right after that, that knows of Allentown and knows our history. In 85, D.C. Drake started helping promote um, in the Allentown area, so independent wrestling continued to to roll, and '85 the NWA tried to come here and they they ran Ag Hall also, and so there was a couple you know a couple of different ways you continue to be a wrestling fan, and then by the early '90s it actually kind of returned on a semi-regular basis to Stabler Arena in Bethlehem. So if you're a fan in in Allentown. There's a huge professional wrestling culture. By 96, Bud Carson's store opened. Um, Bud Carson's a guy who, if, uh, you know, I talked about the idea of my mom, you know, sitting patiently in the living room reading a book while I play with my wrestling guys. He's a guy that, when I was nine years old, 10 years old, would just let me ask him the stupidest questions <laughs> about wrestling for hours. My mom would, would go in with me, she'd, she'd give me a $10 bill or a $5 bill or, or something and i'd buy something and then i would just talk to him about wow who was outback jack he's in this magazine wow who's ted Arcidi? wow who was <laughs> you know it it'd just go on and on killer oh, killer Khan's in the in this wrestling card set from 1987 who was that and he would just indulge it and just be a really nice guy and bud carson is one of those guys that really doesn't get enough credit for being a decent guy for bringing wrestling stars back to Allentown in 96, 7, 8. Uh, he had some of the first and biggest signings here uh, to meet the wrestlers. That's where I met Bruno San Martino. That's where I met the Road Warriors. That's where I met Bushwhackers. That's where I met Bad Crew. Bad Crew is another team, early ECW, that helped promote shows in the area. And events they, had, in the they area. had
0: Hardcore Reunion there. Um, yeah. In fact, I forget, what was that Oh oh nine was it?
1: yeah so they Yep. so but you know just an incredible incredible place and um you know thankfully over the years it time hasn't you know it hasn't forgotten us here and uh you know i remember i think in either 2011 or 2012 hulk hogan came back to ag hall and did a you know a, a round table discussion and uh it was neat because mike mittman who used to be the timekeeper for those seventies and eighties WWF shows became a radio personality in Allentown and a TV guy in Allentown. He actually moderated it. And that's so awesome. there was even nods back to that history and things like that. So um, yeah, it's really cool and it's cool to be part of something that's kind of in the, the fabric of your hometown and <laughs> to, to kind of make it good in the last industry that's left here in, Allent- <laughs> in Allentown from its uh, original heyday.
0: Nice. Now, take us back to your first independent wrestling show. Do you remember where that when that
1: was? Oh, I sure do, and I got a story about that one. That, nice. was the e, that, was, <laughs> that was the EWF, the Eastern Wrestling Federation. And I mentioned Bad Crew, and they had done a signing at Bud Carson's store. And I remember with Bruno San Martino, um, the folks who came in to meet Bruno, the line was out the door around the block. And I remember uh, with Bad Crew, there was only a handful of people that had come in to meet Bad Crew, um, but they had their cup of coffee at e- in ECW by that point. And, um, you know, they were promoting this, this event. And so my parents got us tickets and, uh, they were only like $8 or $10. It was at a place that's not there anymore called the Castle Hill Ballroom in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. It was only about five minutes from my house. And, um, it was, it was a cool event. Uh, Samu was there of the, uh, of the head shrinkers of the Wild Smell Training Center. Uh, he was teamed with LA Smooth. And they faced Bad Crew in the main event. Um, there was Chief Little Bear. There was... Uh, I'm trying to think uh, who else was there. Dirty Deeds Darren Wise, wow. who had been in the Allentown scene for years. And uh, he was a, with a group called The Pack. <laughs> and uh, they were kind of the villains of, of the, the group. But one of the big reasons I went was because they advertised an appearance by Sensational Sherry. And so... I went and I got my Polaroid in the middle of the ring with Sensational Sherry. Now, here's where the weird part the funny part comes in. Sherry (laughs) leaned over. Sherry might have been my first kiss ever. And so I'm getting the picture taken and Sherry leans down and she gives me a kiss on the cheek. And at this point, I'm 10 years old, but I'm like five feet, whatever. You know, I I was a tall kid. And... She, I go to hand her my Polaroid for her autograph, and she doesn't autograph it. And she says, "I need you to bring that later tonight at the after party, honey." And to this day, I I don't know if that's where just she was signing <laughs> signing the Polaroids, <laughs> or if uh, she thought I was a little older than I was, or something like that. But she, she was a real sweetheart. Uh, she was very nice to my mom, which I I, I liked. Um, so I think she was I think she was just gonna sign them all at the little. Little after party gathering that she was just taking them in the ring. But I make the joke never that know. I was getting hit on by Sensational Sherry. That's
0: great. So, well, I, you know, I think it's just, you know, it's just us in the business because I remember Deborah was hitting on me when I was interviewing her once and I didn't even know it until good old Matt Porter was like, dude, she was definitely hit on me. I was like, no, she wasn't. Oh. <laughs> but it's always great time. So, when did you realize that? wrestling was in your blood and this was something that you wanted to do
1: yeah i went to the monster factory and i went there because i was doing philly's nation tv on we did it originally for service electric television and it was just hey it was an agreement where hey you guys produce this we'll air it no money involved you know just if you you know you can sell some advertising if you can but other than that It's just where it will air it if you give it to us kind of deal. The next year, we were on the Comcast Network, which became uh, NBC Philly Plus. And then after that, we were on regular Comcast Sportsnet, which is now NBC Philly, uh, NBC Sports Philly. And I had reached out to the Blue Media and I I was interviewing famous Phillies fans. And I said, hey, I'm looking to interview famous Phillies fans for the TV show I do can I come interview you? You know, can I, I know you're, you're from Philly, you live in Philly and come down. We could do it in 20 minutes and go on with your day. He, he said, yeah, I have a different idea. Let's go to the, let's go to the monster factory, you know? And uh, so we went to the monster factory. I met Danny Cage and Larry Sharp. Um, Larry was in the process of handing the keys over to Danny and uh, we went there and I just, you know, I got the same feeling I did when I walked into, you know, the WWF at Stable Arena. You see the ring and you, you get kind of that extra adrenaline rush. And I, I had the same feeling a couple years before, um, you know, the Wild Samoans Training Center. They used to do birthday parties and things like that. A couple of kids in my neighborhood uh, had birthday parties there, so I got to go to those. So, you know, you walk through the door, you see the ring, and it's, oh, my God, this is this is the coolest thing ever. And so we're doing I'm doing the interview with Blue Meanie, and we do the you know, the reporter gets pushed around and and beat up by the wrestler skit. And um, I'm leaving and and Danny gives me his card and Danny, Danny Cage says, hey, um, you know, why don't we keep in touch? Maybe we can do some more things together. And I said, you know, great. Absolutely. And in the back of my head, I'm like, how do I how do I get a part of this? So I gave him a call a couple nights later and I said, hey, my friend wants to know. Uh, if they wanted to do some wrestling interview stuff, how can they be involved? And uh, he said, yeah, tell your friend to to bring a suit, be here on the day of the event uh, six hours early. We're going to set up the ring. We're going to set up the concessions and uh, tell your friend to be ready to do commentary or to run a camera or to do whatever. And sure enough, that friend was me. <laughs> I'm just a little too nervous to say it.
0: My uh, dog.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... I don't think anybody was. I don't think he was surprised. I know I wasn't surprised when I showed back up, and yeah, and that was the summer of 2013. And first person I met was Damian Priest. I walked in the door, did some stuff with with uh, with Damian, and uh, off to the races we went. And it's amazing that the group that was there, um, you know, LSG has been signed by Ring of Honor. Uh, Steve Cutler is in WWE and has been for quite some time. Damien Priest is, is in WWE, Shaheen Maui has been in and out of Ring of Honor, um, and there's a couple other people that can really, they are still wrestling that, you know, if they really committed, they could, they could be in Ring of Honor or Impact or, or wherever they want from that very show. QT Marshall, uh, QT Marshall in AEW, one of the great up-and-coming trainers now as well. You know, he was on that event too. So, I was shocked that
0: I made that documentary. I don't know if you saw it.
1: Yeah, oh, it was great. Absolutely yeah award-winning documentary so you know it, it turned out to be a the serendipitous show and then a lot of great people rhett titus was there at that show as well so for me um you know if if it wasn't that group of guys i don't know if i would have had the same reaction after the first event but you know, after i got a taste of it even though i didn't really do anything at that first event you know i didn't do commentary i didn't do ring announcing um you know I just I helped do some camera stuff uh, it was just like how do I do this more and so that led to me sending in commentary over matches that didn't have any commentary sending them to Danny um, asking for his review at one point he essentially said hey I can't help you much further um, we're bringing Kevin Kelly in for a seminar uh, you, you should give your stuff to him and Kevin you know Kevin and I sat down and he said do you really want to do this I said yeah and so I started sending stuff to him. Kevin starts bringing me to the Ring of Honor events. Started doing the Future of Honor, the Women of Honor, and then about two and a half years later, I'm, you know, I become the, the lead announcer. And it was, I mean, it all sounds so quick um, at the time. It felt like it was taking forever. Looking back, it, it was probably just the right amount of seasoning and coaching and things like that um, to really let me lose. Right.
0: So, but you came from humble beginnings because you saw how hard it, you had to work to achieve and strive to be as great, you know, and, and humble, but, you know, talk about paying dues at the monster factory, you know, concessions door and all that, and the importance of that for your career.
1: Yeah. Um, I knew coming into the monster factory that it was, there are some tests, there's no hazing, but they want to make sure that you're really interested before they invest their time in it, because Money ultimately is replaceable. You can always make more money. Um, you know, things are ultimately replaceable. You can always get more or different things. Uh, but time and energy and, you know, commitment to to improving somebody in a specific skill, that's not replaceable. So there is a certain bar they want to, you know, make sure that you're ready to cross and to determine how serious you are about something. Um, for me uh most of the events 2013 14 15 i was the first one in one of the last ones out um you know setting up the ring tearing down the ring and this was really important to me because i didn't want anybody to think of me any different i didn't want to be the guy that you know i have a master's degree from the university of pennsylvania i didn't want people to look at me and that they oh, go there's a guy with a master's degree just walking in and out um know i didn't want that to happen i had a a day job where i I traveled the country where i got to see a lot of the country and you know i post fun things on instagram about oh i'm in omaha nebraska or i'm in um, chicago illinois or uh, minneapolis or st paul uh, or sioux Falls, south dakota and i didn't want to come in that saturday and people think oh here's the big shot traveling around so i want to do as much as possible to show everybody else that i was ready to work and willing to work and Um, Even though I was a commentator, it it was just as important to me that everything went well.
0: Now, what are your thoughts on the growth of the Monster Factory since you went on and did the bigger things?
1: Oh, it's amazing. Um, I knew Danny always had it in him. Um, Danny is very determined. Danny is very focused. Um, Danny, I think with Danny there's a lot of things that maybe he wishes he could have done as a wrestler Mm -hmm. that Those dreams fell short, but he became a great father. And now he's taking those skills to try and carry on the legacy of Buddy Rogers and the legacy of Larry Sharp, the two guys that started the Monster Factory. And he has just, he he treats everybody as if they were his own kid. He's, He's tough, but he's honest. He's fair. And that's all you can ask for. Somebody that's honest, tough, fair. Um, that looks out for your best interests as well. And Danny's done a phenomenal job. The proof's in the pudding. Um, you look at all the people that are on national television that he's produced over the last—since you know, since he's, he's fully taken over in 2015. Um, but that first co-class that, that he and Larry put together, that includes Steve Cutler, that included Damian Priest coming back, that included Shaheem Ali, that included LSG. You know, that first class is is booming right now. And he's got more on the way. Uh, Primal Fear is going to be making their debut on Ring of Honor television in the next couple of weeks. And they have a really big match in their debut. Um, Eric Martin made his Ring of Honor debut uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Preston Vance has just skyrocketed. His stock is through the roof. He's like the GameStop of wrestling right now. Um, you know, he's just killing it right now. And these were guys that Danny, you know, Danny got their fundamentals sound and square. And in the cases of, you know, Preston Vance, got some additional training from QT Marshall, from Cody, went on his way. In the case of Eric Martin, got a little bit of training from Jonathan Gresham, got that nice finishing school, that polishing, and he's on his way. And, you know, it's just going to be, I think, a continuous pattern. You're You're going to see wrestler after wrestler come out of the Monster Factory because the fundamentals Danny has and that he teaches are sound. Uh, he teaches hard work. He teaches discipline. He teaches, you know, being committed. And you know, if he doesn't know something, it, before the pandemic, if he didn't know something, he brought it. He brought the person in that did. Whether it was Dr. Tom Pritchard, Les Thatcher, uh, Gary Michael Capetta, Kevin Kelly, uh, G, Jay Lethal, Homicide. Um, Homicide was just in again the other night. Um, you know, these are names that have been all around the world that have been in important positions that know what creates and can make a great wrestler and all of danny's best skill is being able to take every different viewpoint and put it all together and re-communicate it as something that's important and and can really nail that value proposition back to the trainee and help motivate them to become the best wrestler they can
0: and guys even that um aren't supposed to do a seminar there are showing up like lucha house party Showed up that one time just to do flips in the ring and just get some extra practice. Yeah. You never
1: know. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. I, I mean, we had that with, um, you know, Jay Lethal's done that in the past, you know, and and he's he needs some extra seasoning. Jeff Cobb showed up there, um, you know, New Japan star, former Ring of Honor TV champ. So yeah, it's it's incredible. You never know who's going to be there. You really don't.
0: Yep. And see with Danny, like you know, a lot of people like you know think he's like hard headed and all that, but as you just show heart and you just, you know, say, I want to do this, I'll give you a shot. Like me, for instance, since 2013, the door's always been open for me to go there and interview and do my completely damaged, and he's been supportive since day one. And, you know, yeah, he ribs me, you know, and hits me a low blow, you know, but that's what he does. If he does that, that means he likes you, you know? And it makes me feel like it's a home away from home, which is why I make sure every talent there has a place on damage and can tell their story of why they got into business, what the monster factory means to them, and they went on to future and better things. You know, talk about the beginnings. You know.
1: Yeah. No, it's a great place, and and I'm really proud of Danny. I know there's been times where it's uh, there's been people that have said he couldn't do it. There's been people that have doubted him, and I I know Larry would be proud right now if if Larry's still with us. I know Buddy Rogers would be really proud to see, you know, what what Larry did with. The monster factory and then what danny has done to, to follow up
0: definitely and being a being a guest head coach at the wwe performance center that yeah. speaks volumes so absolutely
1: know.
0: definitely now what's one star in the world famous monster factory factor right now that you have your eye on that you think could take it one step higher
1: there's been a guy there for the last maybe five or six years that is just needs a break and has royal money money yep um Royal is hardest working guy um and you can tell uh, he's a world class drummer and yep. I knew when I heard him drum that if he was as capable of being as being a good of a drummer as he is he has that extra personality trait to really become great at wrestling and Danny was somebody that didn't let him off the hook you know Royal went through some tough times with his family Um, Royal went through some tough times overall and Danny stayed on him. And from the outside, there was a point where I was like, Danny, just, you know, just, just lay back, you know, man, this guy's going through some, some things, but it showed Royal that he cared. It showed Danny, you know, again, it's that that tough love and Royals in the best shape he's ever been in. He was just on AEW dark. He's been in a ring of honor, tryout match. Um, He's a guy that I just think the right set of circumstances. He's, he is a when, not an if, and that's royal money.
0: Definitely. Now uh, let's talk a bit about Royal uh, Ring of Honor. Uh, you talked about Kevin Kelly taking you under the, your wing. Who's some else that some other people that took you under their wing?
1: Yeah, um, you know Todd Sinclair. Uh, Todd Sinclair is a guy that is very honest, but he's the opposite of Danny. Where he's honest, but he does it in a way where it's soft. Where it is, hey, I really liked. It. It's he gives you the sandwich. Hey, I really like when you when you call this.
0: Yeah.
1: Here's what I would do differently about this, but I also really like this. So he gives you the positive, the where you can improve, and then the positive. And that's a that's a great way to communicate to me personally. I, you know, I need that extra ego stroke in the beginning yeah. <laughs> before I hear an area of opportunity or critique. And um, Todd's been a guy that. You know, I value his opinion. He's been with Ring of Honor since 2004 or 2005, and um, you know, just somebody that I, I respect greatly. Bobby Cruz the same way. Bobby Cruz will just tell me that you know he didn't like something, and you know, if I listen to it back and I agree with them, I'll fix it and I'll do it again differently. Um, there's a guy, Mark Brown, who's our director. Uh, Mark Brown is an unsung hero. He directed all in, um, you know, and he's a guy that will never get credit for that. Uh, Because of other factors, Um, but Mark Brown, you know, just an awesome director. Um, He's also directed Madison Square Garden, and he's on point with additional information on additional calls, um, feeding me different information if I might not have it um, or if something comes to him right away. So he's, you know, he's great with that. And our executive producer, our executive producer, Delirious, is, um, again, doesn't get enough credit. Uh, he's been the executive producer of Ring of Honor Television since 2010, I think, wow. at this point. And if you look at the wrestling industry, there's been one other person that's done it that long for a nationally televised show. <laughs> and, uh, and he's got a nice house in Connecticut yes, and training center in Florida. Yeah. Um, so he's really one of the unsung heroes. And he really is adaptable at different situations that come up and uh, just has really, he personally has really helped me grow.
0: Definitely. Now um, talk about what it was like calling your first
1: pay-per-view. <laughs> Nerve wracking. I couldn't Go breathe. Um, I, I literally locked up and it wasn't until Colt Cabana uh, gave me a slap on the back and started rubbing my shoulders that I kind of snapped into it. And uh, he could tell, he said he could tell uh, he said, I got a, a look in my eyes that was like, uh, when a young wrestler just kind of blanks before <laughs> before the, the first lockup, and uh, we hit the intro, we he you know he tossed me uh, you know he tossed me a, a weird question about Run DMC that I, I got. <laughs> he asked me, you know, Ian, you're you're into hip hop, right? And little little did he know that I actually was. And he goes, where did the the K.I.N.G. King come from? And Kenny King's theme song, and then I rattled off you know king of rock they no one hire the suck MCs all call me sire nice. um, yeah and so you know then from there we had fun and uh it was nerve-wracking and I didn't you know I, I called it as if um as if I've seen everything for the first time and uh, I had different things prepared just in case and it was a hell of an event. Christopher Daniels won the Ring of Honor World Championship. And I you know, I got to call Hardy Boys Match that night too. So um, just really cool. And I remember I had one adult beverage that night, one beer afterwards to celebrate. I'm not a drinker. And uh, I was just floating around the casino floor because it was at Sam's Town Samstown casino in, in Vegas and uh ran into Taylor Williamson for America. America 'cause America's got talent. He's a fan. And that's where we met that night, and uh, we just we hung out, and we watched Carrie Silken play craps.
0: Nice. <laughs> yeah.
1: And we had a good time, and it was a very nice night, and, uh, you know, really enjoyed ourselves. And then I think back to, you know, Final Battle, which we did in December, and instead of having pages and pages of notes, I had two or three bullet points, and... <laughs> A 30-minute conversation with Caprice about different ideas we had, and then we were off to the races. So it's amazing what the difference in you know just under four years can do.
0: Is it easier for you to not prep and have a bunch of notes and just kind of go off the knowledge that you have, or do you like having that notes just in case?
1: Depends on the wrestler. If it is some, and it depends on the time because in the the COVID era, I'm only I'm only calling matches once every two months now. So for me, um, you know, Matt Taven, somebody I've called pretty much every match since he came back in 2017, you know, and so Matt Taven, I don't have a whole lot of notes for Jay Briscoe, Mark Briscoe. I don't have a whole lot of notes for Jay Lethal. Don't have a whole lot of notes for if it's people that have recently come into the company. Absolutely. You know, we're talking maybe, you know, eight bullet points, four moves, four things about their character Um, You know, if it's somebody that's recently kind of changed direction, like Vincent, you know, Vinny Marcellia, he's become the horror king. I'm going to have a lot on him because he uh, has a lot of story elements that I want to make sure I convey to the crowd and they're going to be bullet points. So I'm going to be putting them into my own words on the fly. Uh, But just so I I remember each of the elements that I've seen in his video packages and things like that, you know, I, I want to make sure I get that get that information to the crowd and you know, help explain to first-time viewers what they might be seeing.
0: Now, with any career, you always try to get that next memory. Talk about doing it in the garden, man, of all places. (laughs) How was that?
1: Yeah, um, that was a crazy time. My contract was up the Monday before the garden. (laughs) So there was a point in time where I didn't know... If I'd be calling the garden and I had some other opportunities on the table um, that were taking place in various parts of the country, I'll just say that, um, that were not taking place in the garden, that were, you know, were not headquartered in Baltimore. And just a couple of weeks before that, Ring of Honor let me take two events off and let me skip a trip to Japan for the birth of my daughter. And they made sure I was home. They paid me. They flew Colt Cabana and they had our executive producer come to my house to film commentary on the episodes that I missed. And because they did that for me and some of the other things that they have done over the years, there was no place I'd rather be. So I was going into the garden fired up because I had just signed a new contract, Um, you know, because it is the Mecca, because... I was, you know, I still am I'm loyal to Ring of Honor. Um, so I signed that contract, and I was there. And there's so many things I'll remember. Um, I got to host a press conference the day before in the Felt Forum in the, uh, the building that's directly in Madison Square Garden with Okada, with Jay White, with, with Jay Lethal, Matt Taven. I got to introduce the president of New Japan and Joe Coff, the COO of Ring of Honor and it was just you know for me that was amazing i got to you know host the traditional new japan press conference and the next night it was obviously the garden and i got to do it with my you know with my dad and my my wrestling dad kevin kelly (laughs) and so you know for him it was no big deal he had done the garden three or four times before and maybe not no big deal but it wasn't it wasn't like the first time you know the first time for anything is huge Um, But I lived in New York City, I had gone to college, um, my four years for undergrad were at NYU, and I was supposed to take my wife to see Bruce Springsteen in the fall of 2007, I bought the tickets, and I had stupidly broken up with her before that, and I just remember thinking, at that time, you know, even though it all worked out, even though a couple years later, we ended up dating again, even though a couple two years after that we were married, I was like, "Wow! I never got to take her to the garden," and I said, "I would." And um, yeah, so she was there, and and she was able to see it and watch me. And they actually had the live feed on the jumbotrons, so she got to see me. <laughs> you know, she got to see me on the jumbotrons with Kevin and Colt and Caprice, and um, it was incredible. I mean, there was four years of my life where I could barely afford to go to Madison Square Garden, and there I was on the screen you know I, I called six hours of wrestling that night you know between the 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 prelim matches the honor rumble four and a half hours of pay-per-view um i got to call great muda who you know i never thought i'd meet the great muda you know and call one of his matches um i get to call jushin thunder Liger's debut and final match at the garden um i got to call okada winning the iwgp heavyweight championship um matt Taven winning the ring of honor championship Um, Bandito doing that amazing double, you know, that moonsault, (laughs) double overhead slam, where he had two men, (laughs) and moonsaulted off the ropes with them. Um, just so many memories. Then the thing I remember the most is, you know, I, I coming out of the garden, you know, walking in with Shane Taylor and Todd Sinclair, taking pictures underneath the the Madison Square Garden signs, and then walking out and trying to find my wife and seeing my wife but continually getting stopped for photos and autographs (laughs) and and it was overwhelming um it was one of the the neatest coolest feelings and um you know it really it makes you feel like you're on top of the world and it's a feeling that i'll have forever and um i wish i could bottle that and sell it (laughs) because it would it would sell out everywhere uh but you know i get the same amount of adrenaline and energy going to you know the experience in columbus where i sell out 600 people and you know we get to have you know 600 people essentially right on top of you or you know in buffalo new york when we sell out the water the waterworks there the river works where you know there might be 900 people but it feels like they're on top of you and they are they let you know it and they let you feel it or your your call in london um, which compared to the Garden is not very big, maybe a tenth of the size, and you just you're rocking and rolling every step of the way. So, uh, but the Garden's sentimental because I did live four years in New York because of our proximity, because you know I know the history of Bruno and you know his sellouts at the old Garden and then him crossing over to the new Garden as the champion and selling out there, um, just wild. You know we were the first event, first non-WWE event there since 1960 and I was the first one to have an entrance video since nineteen <laughs> the wow. non-WWE entrance video since nineteen sixty. So it just it blows your mind sometimes.
0: Now who's one of the uh your favorite uh, special co-host to call a match with? You had, you did Larry Larry the Genius, you know who who else?
1: Oh yeah, we had uh we Lenny Papo with the genius. Um at this point it's interesting I've I've pretty much called matches with everybody on the roster with the current roster. So there's a lot to choose from. Adam Cole was always good to call matches with. Um, I really like calling matches with Adam Cole when he would be in the booth. Um, cheeseburger is really good. Uh, don't sleep on cheese. And uh, i trying to think who else. You know, I'm going to go with a controversial one. Really like calling matches with Jim Cornette. Uh, Jim Cornette knows his stuff. He knows his wrestling. And it was a blast calling matches with Jim Cornette. <laughs> um talked old allentown wrestling with him talked about when the nwa came to came to allentown and uh it, it got to call the crockett cup with him and joe Galley. and joe Galley is a great wrestling broadcaster a great actual news person too in san antonio um does real great actually hard news and a great reporter um but it was a pleasure to call with them so in terms of special guests, um, you know, I it, the answer used to be Caprice Coleman, and now he's my permanent partner, which wow. is awesome. That's cool. So man. he doesn't he doesn't count anymore. Right, Then <laughs> that's probably the big reason he is my permanent partner. It's because he was a great special guest. Nice. But Adam Cole, Jim Cornette, um, Cheeseburger, those are all uh, some of my picks.
0: Okay. Now, you you love to give back of people helped you um, make to where you are today. Let's talk about giving back, going to like Shriners Children's Hospitals, doing book clubs, um, doing stuff for the Pride, stuff like that, man. How does that feel for you in your heart to do stuff like that?
1: Man, I I know that there's things in my life that have given me different advantages. And I know deep down that no matter how hard I work, there are certain people in certain circumstances that could work just as hard. And might not have caught the same breaks, whether it be for, the, like you said, Shriners, for the fact that I'm able-bodied, you know, or the fact that, um, you know, I, I'm a white male, or for any particular reason. And I see that, and I, I kind of get mad about it. it. The world can be an unjust place, and I think we all have a duty to work to to take the advantages we have and help lift people up. Whether that is, you know, kids that have rare conditions at Shriners, um, you know, we did the same. And, you know, we visit the hospitals in Baltimore and Nashville uh, in uh, down in Florida, Atlanta, uh, Charlotte. And we're so lucky we get to do that. Las Vegas hosts us every time we're out and uh, Rainbow Children's, you know, whether it's seeing kids and just, you know, trying to brighten up their day, do funny stuff with them, just breaking up their day. Um, or whether it is the book drive, which we did last year with Lehigh Valley Reads, where Lehigh Valley Reads is an organization, the United Way and PBS of 39 PBS 39 of, of Allentown, Bethlehem. Um, they created this group, and their mission was to get new books into the hands of kids of Lehigh Valley. And as a kid, I loved to read, and I loved having new and different books. And so... I was so touched by their generosity at a community event where they were giving each kid that walked up the book of their choice from a, a pretty wide selection. Um, my son, Zach, got a Batman book that I thought, hey, I want to replenish this. We don't necessarily need this book. Um, but I, I wasn't going to take it out of my son's hands. So I I took it, per, you know, there's that meme with Michael Jordan. I took that personally. <laughs> so. I took it personally that we were a family that might not have needed that book, that I was going to do my best to pay it back and then some. And so that's the kind of thing that I'm trying to do. Um, Bradbury Sullivan community center right now. I'm doing cameos for them. ianriccabonicom slash cameo. All the proceeds go to Bradbury Sullivan. And, you know, that's an organization that I've had friends that identify as LGBTQ that have gone to Bradbury and, have looked for advice on how to talk to their parents, how to talk to their teachers, um, how to express themselves about what they're feeling, if they are coming out, if they're going through a transition, if they need help legally, if they need help with different things. And Bradbury Sullivan's been just a steady organization, a helpful organization in our community that has helped the LGBT folks out quite a bit. And I'm just trying to do my best to be an ally. I, I know there's a lot of Uh, Great LGBTQ wrestlers, wrestling personalities, folks in in wrestling, office, commentators, things like that. We have a few folks in Ring of Honor that identify as LGBTQ. And it's important for me, for for them to know that they have an ally and that they have support. And that, you know, we believe in them as the person, whoever they are. And and we hope that they feel comfortable to to be, you know, who they are.
0: It's amazing. And it's also probably pretty wild that people want to actually buy a cameo for you, I bet. (laughs)
1: That's pretty neat. Um, Ring of Honor, during the pandemic, continued to pay us. And it was the nicest gesture in the world. And we're still in the pandemic, but during the time where we weren't shooting new television. And they were also helping us, I don't want to say with the marketing aspect, but they were helping us with different initiatives to keep our names out there. One of which was Twitch one of which was Cameo. And we had these little seminars. We had these little meetings of, here's how you sign up for Cameo. Here's how you sign up for Twitch. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. And I remember signing up for Cameo, thinking no one's gonna want a video from me. So I set my price at $10. I'm The cheapest person on Cameo, Jim Cornette himself called me the the biggest bargain on Cameo. (laughs) And my wife turned to me and she goes, well, you're on TV every week. Why wouldn't someone wanna hear from you? And I said yeah i know and sure enough you know i put a tweet out and i got three requests you know right right as it went out but you know with the charity it's been interesting because uh at one point i was the fourth most popular wrestling person on cameo because so many people were kind enough to buy these cameos uh, awesome. that all all the proceeds go to bradbury sullivan So, I mean, if you searched literally for wrestling or wrestlers, uh, it was Bret Hart. It was, geez, Bret Hart, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, uh, El Gio De Santo, and me. Wow. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Good company, man. Right. Now, let's talk about that a little bit more before you wrap up, man. Having a micro brawler, (laughs) having a game card, even being in a a video game next month probably, right?
1: Yeah. Dude, it's it's mind-blowing, man. It's wild, and you know, people say, "Well, has it happened?" It's. I ask, you know, I, I figured out who made the micro brawlers, and you know, I asked Colt Cabana. I said, "Hey, it'd be cool if I had one next to yours. We could be a team." And he goes, "Why don't you ask?" <laughs> and so that was another opportunity that we used to to raise money. We raised about twelve hundred dollars for Bradbury Sullivan Community Center. Um, there's still a handful available on ROHwrestling.com, um, so you can pick those up there. Well, the crazy part with that is they're going for fifteen and twenty dollars on eBay because I guess they're perceived as rare because they're not on pro wrestling tees anymore. They sold out there, but they're still available for nine dollars wow. <laughs> on prowrestling wow. com. That's wild. Um, but that's pretty wild. As we talked about, I collect, I collect, and collected uh, wrestling figures, you know, pretty much my whole life. So to ha- actually have one in the same line as Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Bret Hart, Brutus Beefcake, Honky Tonk Man, and all of my, you know, all my Ring of Honor, you know, friends and brethren, Cheeseburger, Matt Taven, Jay Lethal, um, you know, Vincent, you know, people that I've traveled traveled literally the world with, you know, it's it's cool to be in that group. Um, the card thing was cool. I have the collectible card game card. I also have a card from High Spots. Which is uh, technically my rookie card, I think. <laughs> so, I and so that's, that's, that's Just something say, I can really...
0: it's a college baseball player, you knowing that you have a card in professional wrestling. That's right.
1: It yeah, it, it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And then um, the video game, the uh, video game to be put together by Retrosoft Studios, it's called Retromania. It is the official legal uh, sequel to WrestleFest. And um, it's, It's amazing. I've seen the early demos. I've heard my voice in it. That still doesn't compute. I'm visually in the game a whole bunch, too. I don't want to spoil that, though, uh, because if if I explain to you where I'm at, that it kind of spoils some of the story mode. So I don't want to to spoil that. But it's really, really neat. And uh, I pumped quarter after quarter of my parents' money into WrestleFest at the laundromat uh, when I was a kid. So... I, uh, I can't believe I'm actually in the sequel to that's it all wild. these years later.
0: That's wild. So for the Damage fans out there that want to follow more information about you, uh, your charity, stuff that you do, where can they go?
1: Yeah. Um, all social media is at Ian Riccoboni. I try to keep keep it up. You know, I try and uh, do my best to keep everything going, whether that's Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Um, Twitter and Instagram are probably the best for me. Those are the ones I focus on. Um, I keep all the charity information stuff on ianriccobani.com um, cameo.com slash for all the uh, you know for all the cameo information on $9.99 or $10 if you're on Apple I think they rounded up a cent for some reason if you're on Apple um, so yeah please check that out um, about 75% of that $10 goes to you know goes to the talent and all of that all that 75% goes to Bradbury Sullivan so Every time you get a can, it's about a $7.50 seven, $7. 50 donation to Bradbury.
0: Well, Ian, I really appreciate your time, man. And, uh, you know, thanks so much for being a great supporter of Completely Damaged and being a great friend.
1: Yeah, thank you, RC. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Definitely. Now, Damaged fans, member, don't keep it nice and neat. Keep it Completely Damaged on MockerRadio.com, where music and minds meet. Leave